0: welcome back to another episode of mcu need to know a podcast dedicated to the marvel cinematic universe and everything you need to know i'm trey i'm jude how you doing trey i am doing pretty fantastic uh incredibly excited uh because we're back to to mcu proper
1: yeah you know what i think this is our first mcu proper review right yeah this is i'm excited this is this is awesome stuff
0: Mm-hmm. So, it's it's been a couple of weeks of doing some more of the topic based episodes, and it felt really good to kind of like take notes again, uh, kind of like we were doing with Daredevil.
1: Hang on. Yes? Yeah. <laughs> oh, thank you. Really good podcasts have wine. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Just as you were saying that, the door opened and hit the laundry hamper that is my desk in the closet. <laughs> <laughs> for the laptop and i uh-huh. and the hand comes in holding this glass of wine saying really good podcast have wine so <laughs>
0: <laughs> there's our endorsement
1: <laughs> so yeah uh, oh. i'm sorry i interrupted you what did you say <laughs>
0: <laughs> i was just saying it felt good to kind of be taking notes uh, yes, again yes, after it having did. it yeah right yeah
1: i did mm-hmm. okay Yes, it did feel good feel notes. it did feel good, I haven't even had a sip of the wine yet, it did feel good to take notes again. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so yeah, that's been, that's had me pretty excited, but uh, how have you been?
1: You know what, um, it's, it's been good, I'm glad it's Friday, uh, you know, <laughs> we're back the curtains a little bit, we're normally recording on Thursday nights, uh, recording on Friday night, tonight, glad it's the weekend, I understand you gotta go back to work, uh, but I don't, and it was a long week, so I'm happy.
0: <laughs> That's good. I'm glad you're uh, getting the break, man. I know things have been really rough, uh, like you've said before. You're a teacher; things are tumultuous right now. So I hope you uh, get to take advantage okay. of that. Well, break. you know
1: what? We had we had students. Um, we we had this weird kind of system. I'm not going to dive into it here. Um, mm-hmm. But I'll tell you what: for all the stress it, that that the week had leading up to the official first day. Um, having the students was great. And I know each day that goes by as getting to interact with the students again, because that's, I feel comfortable saying this of teachers, like that's why we do it for the students, right? Mm -hmm. And each day that goes by that you get to interact with them, it's great. It it just gets better.
0: And and I know it's probably not the same set of kids uh from last time but i mean i know there had to be lingering feelings of the abruptness of being on spring break and then the year's just over yeah last year last semester yeah there
1: was a little bit about that it was nice well you know i mean to be honest like like like, because i i get some repeat students you know mm -hmm. um for the grade levels i teach uh and so seeing them again is nice but you know, even running into the halls of ones that I don't have as a repeat. Um, and you just didn't get the end of last year get to say a proper goodbye, you know, at the right. end of the year. And so getting to see them again mm-hmm. is really cool.
0: Yeah. So I'm, I'm glad you got to get that. But um, yeah, but before we jump into our main topic of Iron Man this week, I would like to take this time to say that if you haven't already, uh, if you could take the time to leave us a review on your podcast platform of choice, we'd greatly appreciate it. Uh, leave us a review and a star rating. It really helps the podcast uh, grow in the ranks and helps us be discovered by new listeners. So like I said, we're finally diving into the MCU proper this week. We are taking on None other than Iron Man, the first movie in the Marvel Cinematic Universe.
1: Okay. We've talked about this once before, so let me ask. You saw this in the theater, right? I did. Okay. Yes. And you remember that experience?
0: I do, because I was very reluctant to see it.
1: That's right. That's right. You were Mm -hmm. uh, kind of, saw the trailer, and you were kind of, eh. But it ended up- (laughs) I'm uh,
0: over superheroes. Yeah,
1: but ended up loving it. Okay. Because we talked about Mm -hmm. this. All right. Yeah. What about you? Did you see this one in theater? I did. I did. This was one I was excited to see in the theater um, mm-hmm. and got, came in town, watched it. Uh, remember, I talked about it on podcast about my wife mm-hmm. and my sister going to see uh, Sex in the City <laughs> or Sex in the City 2, whichever one it was. Um, uh-huh. And my wife being scandalized that she took my little sister to go see that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So, yeah, we've been talking about this, how we know when we talked about Daredevil, we did do it as a scene by scene breakdown. But with those being about, you know, 45 minutes to an hour long episodes, that felt a little bit more doable than this two hour plus movie. So the way we're going to handle this today is we have broken up this movie into three parts. So the first part that we're going to be discussing deals with Tony being captured all the way to the point of rescue. Part two is going to deal with the moment of the press conference when he's rescued all the way until his mission in Galmira, And then finally, the third part will deal with him coming home and Pepper finding him taking out the suit all the way to the finale of the movie.
1: A good three-act structure. Yeah.
0: So, in this first part, I think one of the first things that I wanted to bring up that I remember being uh, really impressed with in this rewatch is so much of this movie, I think relies on that reveal with Obadiah in the end. Mm-hmm. And I think I've heard criticisms before how it feels like it goes a little off the deep end with the the extent to which Obadiah kind of becomes the villain at the end. Right. But I, I, knowing that now in this rewatch, I think the thing I found so impressive is when they were doing that, you know, after Tony's been captured and all that and they're having the flashback scene of him winning the award and they had like that infographic like detailing everything we needed to know about Tony Stark. Uh-huh. They the way they were visually able to tell that story between Tony and Obadiah, where, um, you know, they had the like Obadiah stepped in when Howard Stark passed on and he managed the company. And so there you see Obadiah on the magazine cover and he's alone. Uh, Then Tony comes in. He's kind of young. They're sharing the cover. And then the next cover is Obadiah kind of in the background and Tony taking center stage. And then finally, the last cover that show is just straight up Tony Stark. So without them even having to show Obadiah and Tony interacting, they did such a great job of planting that seed of jealousy between them. Oh,
1: absolutely. I mean, the in that one cover, the look of Obadiah towards Stark as he came to the front, um, mm-hmm. you you started to get hints of that. But even Obadiah's line is full of jealousy because Stark gets up for the award, or well, or, let or, or phrase that, Stark doesn't show for the award, and Obadiah's mm-hmm. line is... I'm not Tony Stark, but if I were right and and it's not a on behalf of the company, on behalf of Stark, it's I'm not Tony Stark. But if I were like, it's, it's clearly and I don't think I recognized that the first time I watched it, like all the way back mm-hmm. in the theater, um, as much as I did this time around
0: it's the benefits of being able to rewatch yes. stuff is so much more fun, especially yeah. in the cinematic universe where it gets rewarded. Right.
1: And and not that I didn't recognize the jealousy, but like that line in particular, you know, um, just kind of like that award should be mine, uh, thing, mm-hmm. you know,
0: that's an interesting way to look at it. Yeah. Especially the way he kind of like is reveling at the trophy with, before he even starts to address the crowd. Right. Mm-hmm.
1: You know, I did I, a couple of things I found I loved about this open is just, um, Well, I got two things in mind now. Uh, One of the things I like is how we talked about a lot with the Daredevil, the efficiency of storytelling and how they give Mm -hmm. you a lot of information just visually and stuff like that. Um, And you see very quickly how, like, in a weird way, Stark Industries made him, Tony Stark, who he is. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it's also what did him in, right? Like, it was literally the, like, he, he gets out of the Humvee, he hides behind the rock and the the dud well it wasn't even dud it blew up but it's just late so he got to see and focus in there's a stark stark industry weapon and like that is kind of what did him in as well stark industries which i really liked kind of that this is what his, himself and stark industries what put him in that position you know to mm-hmm. or the the cave he had to climb out of and you know in so much
0: of Tony's growth in this movie is recognizing the responsibility of his family's legacy. Um, The fact that, you know, his father helped create these weapons. He profited off the the, selling these weapons for war. And for so much of that early part of the film, like he gave no mind to that. And kind of playing in that space about how demonstrating that Stark Industries was both his making and undoing they did a very good job of this visually as well. Whenever he was displaying the the, the large missile, which I'm blinking on the name at the moment. Jericho? Uh, the Jericho, thank you. Uh, whenever they were demonstrating the Jericho, you know, he was up there and he was giving like his rehearsed speech about like how, you know, the, I say the best is the weapon you only had to fire once. And it's very clinical in his delivery. He has the big showmanship where he has his arms outstretched, the bomb goes off. And then the way that, He's kind of caught off guard by it a little bit after the explosion uh-huh. and the and the aftershock. It's just such a great way to say like he's not even taking into account how powerful these weapons are, right? And he's blown, he's caught off guard with it, yeah. No, and then immediately goes and grabs a drink.
1: Yeah, that's a nice touch to peace. Yeah, yeah, that's mm-hmm.
0: a, that's yeah. A, that's,
1: a, that's a nice touch. Um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: You know what? I, I'm going to step out a little bit of that moment. I always. In the first watch didn't think about it, but now it's like, man, do they really have to go out there to test the weapon? Like, go overseas, for example. Like, don't we have weapons testing sites and in, in much, it's not military hotspots?
0: That is a very good point, yeah.
1: <laughs> Just throwing that out there... Um... It doesn't hurt me watching the movie but that was something I that's always kind of picked at the back of my mind.
0: <laughs> it completely undoes the entirety of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It does. It
1: does. We're packing up, go home. Never going to watch the movies again. Call it a night. Oh. You know. Now, when it, while i was stepping outside of it, um I remember, mm-hmm. you know, seeing Stark's tech, you know, and I'm getting a little bit ahead of the scene, and I'm not trying to get ahead of us, but like mm-hmm. The first time you see Jarvis at his apart at, uh, apartment. Tony Stark doesn't live in an apartment. At his house, you know. <laughs> Jarvis might live in an apartment. Yeah, but like there. so so like you have that the you see that in there but even go back to the scenes we're talking about and you have that flip phone but he's doing video,
0: mm-hmm. you know?
1: And the the tech there was so I remember watching it and thinking it was so advanced. But mm-hmm. now you watch it and it's like that's a really small screen and you're on a flip phone and and then mm-hmm. seeing where Jarvis ended up you know from uh from those first moments uh you get introduced to Jarvis uh it, it, it's interesting how the tech over time is um i don't i don't think it takes away from my viewing experience uh you know i wrote down jotted down is like D- i hope this doesn't show up on MySpace. i'm assuming that was a partnership at the time uh cuz you Oh 100% yeah, you know how i know yeah go ahead
0: because like the very first trailer I ever saw for, uh, Iron Man was a MySpace bulletin post ad where it was the, sometimes you have to run before you walk clip. Yeah, and yeah. that's the first time I saw an Iron Man promotion. Right,
1: right. So, um, but I, I don't feel like a lot of times movies, it's kind of detriment like to it. Right. When you watch it and mm-hmm. you're like, Oh, that's a bit dated. I didn't feel that though. And I don't know if it was just cause I'm forgiving it cause it's the MCU, but I didn't feel like, Oh, that's dated. It was just, it just is.
0: It is dated. Uh, I guess dated has a pejorative feel to it. Whenever you talk about a movie being dated, it's like, oh, it's not up to snuff. I think the thing that the MCU has going for it, and again, we could totally be MCU apologists here, but the thing that that makes it okay is because since these do exist on a continuity, it's not dated. You're just seeing the evolution from, from where it was to where it gets to eventually. Right, right. And because so, yeah, I had a similar feeling. Like whenever Tony, even the fact that at the very beginning, when the soldiers like, "Hey, can we take a picture?" They don't pull out their phone to take a picture. It's like a little snapshot, like it is, a little it is power that, that point
1: and shoot camera. Yeah,
0: right. And so there, there's definitely so much of that that grounds it specifically in that 2008 period. Um, and I and to me, it, it's almost endearing um, instead of the pejorative sense of data yeah.
1: well and i don't mean and again i'm not trying to talk down about the movie right. i mean mm-hmm. some of my favorite movies were made in the 80s you know mm-hmm. uh so so yeah so it, and, i mean you want to talk about dated? you know when they're look at captain marvel when, when they dated intentionally and she's running to a payphone um mm-hmm. you know um and go back to those 80s movies when they're going to a payphone and that's mm-hmm. because that's what you do at that time so yeah so it, it's
0: so many of those movies could have been solved with a cell phone I
1: know. i know right <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so, yeah, so I'm not trying to there, but it's like like it didn't bother me, though, you know, and, and it's mm-hmm. it's it didn't take away from the experience of like, oh, you mentioned my space and it's not a thing or whatever.
0: So you did mention the introduction of Jarvis, um, which, if I'm not mistaken, that's when we finally get to get a glimpse of Tony's garage, his workspace. Yeah. One one of the things that I really enjoyed about this first part of the movie is the way they established that garage as it's his safe space, like it's it's where he can be his most vulnerable. Because throughout so much of this early part, you know we're seeing Tony like his wit is on full display, and you can see the way that he uses it as a defense mechanism, specifically when he's having the um, the interview with Everhart about like, well, how do you sleep at night when you know you're making money off all these these weapons you sell? You know he's kind of got like a distance that he's keeping people at, but here uh, we see him being a little bit more open with Pepper. And I think the way they kind of subconsciously cement this is one of the things that I noticed is that he's working on that hot rod, right? Right, yeah. And it's a and it, Tony's so often called the tinkerer or the mechanic. Like, we know that's where he's at his best. And while he's working on that, in the bottom right corner of the frame, you can see there's a picture of his dad also working on a hot rod. And I like that they solidified that there.
1: Yeah. Well, and again, it's, it's that well-done storytelling. What I find fascinating and you bringing that up is the song playing, I believe, was a song called Institutionalized by Suicidal Tendencies. Mm -hmm. And that's what Mm -hmm. I really focused in on in that scene is those lyrics. So actually, in my research, I pulled up uh, some lyrics. Sometimes I try to do things and it just doesn't work out the way I want it to. And I get real frustrated and I'm like, I try to do it or I try hard to do it. And I'm like, I take my time and it doesn't work out the way I wanted to. And it's like I concentrate real hard. And like, it, it's almost like that internal, like it felt to me like this internal monologue as he's tinkering with this hot rod, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then projecting out and knowing how getting into Iron Man 2 and further beyond, you have the dad issues, mm-hmm. the that they pull through. Well, all the Marvel movies have a dad issue in it. But that dad issue they pull through with them, you know, it, it, it was a nice touch to have that internal monologue going.
0: And the way that we see how that garage space becomes a central part for a lot of the pivotal moments in this movie, um, I'm glad they they established that. And and I'm glad that you, because I, I heard the song, but I didn't actually look up the lyrics. I just, I picked up on the general angst vibe. But yeah. you kind of stating the lyrics, like, I actually read them out, that that makes it 100% more well-rounded out. Yeah.
1: And it's a, you know, it has a good punk feel. Mm-hmm. Now, I will say, I remember when, when I watched it the first time, I remember thinking that Gwyneth Paltrow was a pretty big name for a, for a supporting role. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm glad, knowing where we ended up with the MCU, I'm glad that that was able to go all the way through to the end, you know, with the, mm-hmm. with the same actress. But yeah, it I, I remember when it came out, I was like, man, this is a, a, a minor supporting role for, for such a big name.
0: Like you said, I mean, it's it it it's amazing how they were able to keep that through all the way through in yeah. uh, game. Yeah,
1: and I I liked her portrayal of Pepper Potts. You know, um, mm-hmm. I thought well, and I, and I want to try to make sure I stick to Iron Man. Um, and I especially like the development of it. But even in mm-hmm. there, they did a good job. There's some there's some issues I have with the movie, but the overall, they did a pretty good job with the, their relationship and the interaction.
0: I mean, it all boils down to how well their chemistry is. Like you can feel. Right how Tony's just, Tony's a toddler that is constantly not paying attention to what he needs to be. And and Pepper is the responsible one who is helping keep him on track when otherwise he would just go off the rails. Right, right. So kind of staying in that space about Tony's relationships with other people in this early part of the movie. uh, Another thing that I liked is the way they established Tony and Rhodey. it's hard to kind of understand, at least within this movie, how a friendship like Rody and Tony exists because we see so clearly how Tony has a problem with like uh, responsibility and showing respect to other people and, and just general um, – like I said, general responsibility. Whereas Colonel Rhodes, you know, he's uptight. He has a sense of decorum and, and a high sense of honor. And so it's these two polar opposites. But the thing that I think they did so well is in that scene where they are on the airplane and Tony's trying to get him to drink. He's like, no, no, man, I'm working. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to drink on the job. And then it quick cuts to Rhodey drinking. And you can see in that moment that the thing that makes them work is that, you know, Tony's this loose character that needs to have some structure in his life. And Rhodey is somebody that has been really... uh, I keep saying uptight there's got to be a better word cuz uptight feels very heavy but Yeah,
1: I, I I agree with you that uptight feels very heavy but I know what you're trying to get across. It is Yeah. it's he is well, I mean he's he's in the military. He's a military it's rigid. Yeah. Rigid. right. He's well, and I apologize I'm not trying to characterize people in the military as rigid. <laughs> uh but but I mean they <laughs> but but I mean if you think about what that life is, there's a schedule everything mm-hmm. is that rigid schedule. I get up at this time, I do this. Um, disciplined I guess that's a great word for it disciplined Um, that's the word I'm looking for (laughs) and and so you have basically one character that's disciplined and Tony Stark who's undisciplined Um, Mm -hmm. and and so it's hard to imagine them meshing Um, in some ways I feel like okay in some ways I feel like I wish Don Cheadle was playing this from the beginning Mm -hmm. and like to have seen his take on that character in the first Iron Man right Mm -hmm. but it does still come across as, like, Rhodey's role here is a babysitter, you know? Cause, yes. Because, like, even when he comes back and says, hey, I'm working on something big, and he's like, great, I'm glad to see you're back to work. And he's like, no, I'm not talking about a weapon. And he's like, you need to go get your mind right, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and clearly he has, if he's in charge of weapons development, as it's stated at some point in the movie, he has, I don't want to say an agenda, but he has a reason to have that relationship with Stark, Right. Mm-hmm. And so and I feel like this movie emphasized that part of their relationship a little bit more than the friendship itself that you see mm-hmm. in other films.
0: And, and I think that's because Don Cheadle and Robert Downey Jr. I think have a better chemistry in the friendship department. Right. And like you said, with Terrence Howard, it's more of that babysitter role. But like the thing that I was, I was getting to is that whenever Rhodey gets intoxicated and he's kind of like, you know, drunkenly just going on and on to Tony, the thing that he's saying and that you kind of get a glimpse into what Rhodey actually feels is he's kind of romanticizing this idea about how, like, man, when I put on that uniform, what I see is, like, other other people that have my back like I have theirs. And he wants that for Tony. Like, he wants that sense of purpose that he gets from the military. And he wants to find a way to instill that into Tony because that's how much he cares for. Him. Right. And I like that you kind of see this melding of their two spectrums there.
1: Right. Now, I do have to say this. That scene is Uh that scene is one of the reasons why um, I haven't shown this to my daughters yet. Like that scene is difficult for me to watch now. And you know, okay. So I did a leading up to infinity war with my students. I did a, during the lunch periods, we did a MCU marathon, Mm -hmm. Iron Man all the way through. And I remember showing this and I'm, you know, juniors in high school, all boys school. And we're watching the scene and I'm just, it was really uncomfortable for me. It it wasn't uncomfortable for them. Actually, there was a couple of students that were just like, "Dude, this is wrong." But yeah, and and it's and it's and the only reason why I bring that up because like when you get to end game and you see the full arc that he takes, it it kind of narratively makes sense. Mm-hmm. But at the time when you're seeing it at the the as a standalone, and I get that that's part of showing who he is as a character. It just now it just doesn't sit as well with me.
0: And I think part of it has to do with... Because, I mean, I'd I, mean, I I want I'd like to believe that I've grown since the first time I've seen this because it didn't really register with me then. But I think the thing that makes it different now is that, yes, there is that logic like, okay, we're watching a character grow, so the fact that the, there's this scene where he's objectifying women like this, you know, you know, that's just part of where he's at in a negative space and he grows to a better person. But the thing that makes it glow, glaring... Is the movie's not painting it as a thing? It, the movie's kind of reveling in it, like, oh, look how cool this is. That uh, you know,
1: right? Yeah, I think that's a perfect way to put it. Like it, it's, mm-hmm. it's not a problem. It is glorifying it.
0: Yep. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where the problem lies. And and again, it, it, it's it's an older movie. We've I think we've all collectively grown and and know how to um, better interpret it, but yeah, I see why it sits uh, uneasy now.
1: Yeah. Now, one thing I do want to circle back to, like, like when he was in the cave and, and circle back to, um, part of that, the Stark industry that you mentioned, you know, that we kind of talked about, about building him up and also taking him down and kind of, kind of thing and wrapping it up. Something that was mentioned to him was like when, when the 10 rings guys first came in and he asked, uh, was it ensign? Was the guy's name? Who was he in there with? Ginson? Yeah. Jensen. Jensen. When the group of men from the Ten Rings come in, and he asks Jensen, "Who are they?" His response is, "They are your loyal customer, sir." You know, mm-hmm. um, and that was like a really good clue that these weapons were bought and not stolen. Mm-hmm. You know, because he's like, "How do they have my weapons? How do they have my weapons?" That was the the scene. But that that might have been the line, but but I love that response on his part and kind of cluing us in of like, "No, no, no, no. These." You know, they were legit bought.
0: Well, and because they even have that. I mean, they're constantly throwing it back in his face in, in that captivity scene because when the leader of the Ten Rings comes in, he even throws that line at Tony. is like the most famous American mass murderer or, or something like that. Like they're they're making sure he understands that this is all at the hands of his doing. Right. Right. So kind of playing in the space about his relationship with Yinsen. um, We talked so much about the story circle in Daredevil and about how Matt's lowest point and so on. I find it so incredibly interesting that we are really dealing with Tony's lowest point at the beginning of the movie, I think. And we see so much stripped away from him at his lowest point and he has nothing more than his own ingenuity to build the things that he needs to build the arc reactor to save his life and then, of course, the suit and Jensen's moral compass to help guide him through this dark place.
1: Also, Jensen here, though, is very pointed, right? Because he asked, do you have family, anybody? And Starks, you know, shakes his head no. And Jensen's line is, you know, a man who has everything yet has nothing. And, mm-hmm. and, and very quickly he shows how shallow Stark's life is, you know. Yeah. Um, in, in terms of, like, the, the contrast of where you see him and he's in Vegas and and all of this to literally it's like oh we showed you with all of this stuff and now but look at you you really have nothing uh, mm-hmm. amongst all this material
0: i mean it was so much of filling the voids that he had and not addressed with vices instead of actually you know having any substance
1: right right
0: and man and it's and it's so and i'm sure it's not going to be the first time we use this pun it's a very stark contrast with And again, with that conversation with Jensen where he's like – where Tony says, why should I do anything? They're going to kill me and you if I do or don't. And if not, I'll be dead in a week anyway. And it's so interesting to me to see Tony at this point where he's still kind of like – I don't know if whining is the right word, but he's just like given up. And that – to see that all the way to endgame where he makes the ultimate sacrifice is just – I don't know. Yeah. It's so cool they were able to pull that through.
1: Right. Well, and, and Jensen here had to show him, um, well, and tried to. Like, I think, I think that was part of it. Like, like Jensen says, yes, I have a family. And so he has something worth fighting for to get out.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: and I think that's part of what Jensen was doing, trying to give him a reason. And yet he had nothing. But then the motivation for him to escape, right, was a motivation about legacy, You know, um, it was it was an ego appeal. So while he while he was set on this path to do the right thing here, I don't know if we'd say it was for noble reason yet.
0: You know, I think that's a very good way to look at it because I'm going to peek ahead a little bit. I don't think we're quite ready to go to act two yet. But one of the first notes that I have is that it's not enough to be changed you still had to find purpose, and I think that's what a lot of the rest of this movie is dealing with. Is Tony, like Tony, recognizes that maybe life isn't what he thought it was, but he still doesn't know what to do with his newfound sense of identity.
1: Right. Oh yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I and I think we, uh, I think later in the movie we touch on that a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Okay. So so two things I want to I want to bring up. Um, I okay. love the reveal of the plans of his Mark mm-hmm. One armor. Mm-hmm. However, the trailer. Um, I just, I, the trailers reveal so much, you <laughs> mm-hmm. know, and it's so, so like that was a really cool reveal of the Mark one armor itself and just the plans, the way he laid it flat, mm-hmm. you know, it's was like flatten mm-hmm. them out, but you've seen it in the trailer. And so that kind of diminished it a little bit. And I found it interesting. Like he uses that blowtorch flamethrower, I guess on his own, to like burn the weapons they have that is his. Mm-hmm. I really... Let's be honest. Those weapons hold up to those flames. I mean, if mm-hmm. not, they're pretty defective and pretty dangerous <laughs> <laughs> weapons to be used. Because, like, they're in armor. Like, like they're gonna be shot at, right? They're they're on uh-huh. planes, they're on whatever. They're gonna be shot at. Things are gonna explode. If it can't stand to that kind of heat, it's it's just as dangerous to to, to those to those wielding them. And so,
0: <laughs> you're really dismantling the very first movie in the MCU. I wasn't expecting this. <laughs> <laughs> I just, <laughs> no, it makes sense though. It does. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's just, it's what we've talked about before. Out there. There's just this movie vocabulary we build where it doesn't make sense, but it, it keeps the movie going forward. So you right. just kind of
1: like, right. think it away. You just let it go. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Which I have a little tangent here as far as movie vocabulary goes. Why is it in every movie when a character wakes up from like a coma or some kind of medical thing and they find out that they have the the tubes in their nose that they just immediately yank it out? Like they're there for a reason. Like
1: I don't know. I don't know. That that grows
0: one, it grosses me out. And two, it's like you don't know what damage you're doing.
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't know.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But you're right, no, he does no. that all the way to in game when he has the the IVs and he just yanks them out.
0: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. At least he's consistent.
1: Yep. That that's what we want in our characters, consistency. Well, no, 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 we want growth. We want growth And <laughs> I Consistent growth, somewhere yeah, in the there, middle. There you go. Consistent growth, <laughs> the golden mean, that's what we want. Oh, man.
0: But, you know, and, and kind of circling back more on point with your talk about the, the trailer revealing the suit, can you imagine if we lived in a world where trailers weren't super revealing? Like, how would you feel if they reveal that that first Mark I suit and you're kind of in the theater thinking like, well, that's kind of a clunky suit. And you just wonder if that's <laughs> going to be it for the rest of the movie.
1: Well, okay. So in fairness, we talked about this a little bit in a previous podcast. In 2008, we weren't yet, at least to my knowledge, with content creators, like fine tooth combing the trailers, frame mm-hmm. by frame with the trailers. And the MCU wasn't a thing and they were truly trying to get people in the theater. to to make this Mm -hmm. thing successful. I understand them revealing as much as they did.
0: So, uh, you know, I think one of the the most influential parts of this whole captivity scene in part one is the relationship with Jensen. Specifically, I think one of the things that they did so well with the phase one starter hero movies is that for Thor and Cap and Tony, they all had these characters that helped propel who they were going to be for the entirety of the saga. And Yinsen is definitely that for Tony. Um, He teaches him about sacrifice and how that his life has to be more meaningful than what he's lived up to now. And, you know, he has that final line of like, you know, don't don't waste this chance that you've been given. Um, We see how that weighs on Tony for, you know, all the way through the end.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, it follows the hero's journey, right? Like your hero is uh, sent into action. Um, the hero is given some kind of, you know, uh, wand, golden fleece, sword, you know, whatever it is. And the hero has to leave the mentor, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it's why, quick spoiler, turn down your volume for 10 seconds if you have know nothing about pop culture. It's why all the mentors die. Obi-Wan, Yoda, insert your mentor here, you know. Dumbledore, any other movies that can ruin? That's why they. it's why they die because the, the hero has to move on. You, typically, you see that later in the story, um, where here they use it, you know, pretty upfront.
0: I just want to say, I think we may have set the world record on most movies spoiled in <laughs> shortest <laughs> amount of time.
1: Well, I said it was only going to take about ten <laughs> seconds. I hope they turned the volume back up. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? It's funny because I like right. I teach the hero's journey to my, to my students. You know, I mean, they learn it mm-hmm. in English, but I also I also recover it. And at the end, they're just like, "You just I can't watch movies again, like without." It's like because it, 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 it does it impacts your your viewing experience knowing it. But that's the thing, though, is is like when they when they when the the creator the storyteller does it well, it doesn't matter that you know they suck you yeah. in.
0: Hmm. I mean, it's like seeing the Matrix. Like you see what makes it. Oh yeah. Tick.
1: Oh, mm-hmm. yeah, but not the second one, or the third, but okay.
0: I meant the actual pop culture expression of, like, seeing The Matrix, but I guess you could also say actually oh. seeing <laughs> The <movie laughs> Matrix, too.
1: It's <laughs> 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 oh, to reveal my feelings on The Matrix trilogy, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: So, you know, I, I think with that, obviously, the, the send off with Jensen, Tony finally escapes from the Tin Rings clutches um, and he's rescued, which is going to bring us to the start of Act Two, which we've detailed is going to start with that whole press conference where he is revealing that he's going to be shutting down the weapons manufacturing part of his company. Um, but one, w- before we get into that, one thing that I want to say as like a carryover point from the last one, because I kind of bridge these two is is like I was saying, it, it's so interesting to me that they had this this hitting the lowest point and then having return change so early in the the movie is that not only is it an interesting structure in a fun way to kind of like subvert the origin trope of superheroes. Right. I kind of wanted to step out a little bit here and say well, first I should ask this. Have you seen the movie Chef, the other John Favreau movie?
1: I Oh, my gosh. I love it. The other. Like okay. It's only one. I'm so glad. Have you, have you not seen – okay, never mind. Keep going. Well, there's the Chef TV show, and it's really good. Well, I know, but I was about to ask, have you not seen and list a couple of movies? And I, I knew the answer was going to be yes, so go ahead. Oh, okay. <laughs> I see what you
0: mean now. <laughs> anyway, I just thought this was an interesting kind of little pointed look at John Favreau, where I think this is actually – a style of his, because obviously we see the the hero's journey, uh, the return having changed early in this movie. I think you can almost kind of see it, too, in Iron Man 2, where he kind of deals with whiplash fairly early on in the movie. And the rest of the movie is kind of this weird limbo. Yeah. And then what I was going to say with, with uh, Chef, which this is kind of just vague spoilers, nothing detailed wise. It, it really does feel like the character gets what they want in the middle of the movie. And for the remainder of it, there's like no conflict.
1: Hmm, and I have to think about that because I don't
0: hmm. well, well, only, I don't want to take away because cause,
1: only because I love the movie chef.
0: And right. And that's what I, I was going to say. Like, I love chef. I think chef is a great movie and that it succeeds without conflict in that final half of the movie. And it'd be interesting to kind of keep that in mind whenever we do get to Iron Man 2, because I do think Iron Man 2 is on the lower end of the MCU spectrums. Yeah. And try and see if we can figure out why it works yeah. here in Iron Man, works in Chef, but doesn't work in Iron Man Two. Well,
1: can I say I'm gonna I'm gonna go off on this tangent with you and Chef for a second because I feel like because <laughs> I, I feel like with the, while the conflict's resolved, mm-hmm. it's in Chef. If if y'all have everybody listening, if you haven't seen Chef, go see Chef. It's so fantastic. And you're, which you really should because it does kind of tie into Iron Man. a yeah, little Yeah, and you're gonna want to Scarlett Johansson's in it. You're going to want to eat a grilled cheese sandwich in it. Just go see it and you'll understand, Um, you know, in a Cuban sandwich. Anyways, but but like the conflict's resolved, but then the rest of the movie is about him rebuilding that broken relationship with his son, Mm -hmm. you know. And and so in that sense— um, I, I, there's story there, even though the con- there's no mm-hmm. conflict or it's resolved, because it's like, yeah, it's re- this is resolved, but it almost resembles life in that, um, just because the conflict resolved, you still have to mess or deal with the broken pieces that that was the conflict mm-hmm. in the beginning in the first place, and it, it's that about, it's about that after the conflict resolved, the res the continued building up or picking up those pieces, and that's what I love about Chef. Mm-hmm.
0: And you kind of stating that, kind of, I think it kind of mirrors a little bit of what I was feeling with Iron Man One is that it's not enough to be changed; it's what you do after it.
1: Right. And it's oh yeah, right.
0: And so I I think it's interesting to see how they explore that in Iron Man, and and and, and I you make me want to rewatch Chef with that view set in mind.
1: Well, you know what? And now that you mentioned that, there one of my notes is there's that line Obadiah has where it says we're ironmongers. You know, we make weapons. Um, mm-hmm. And what I found interesting about that, because this is, I think, Stark was asking the first time, like, did you know about this? Because I saw that they had our weapon. So this was the first time he was asking. It wasn't straight up, are we double dealing, but, but kind of having that innocence gone. And he's asking those questions. And, and there's a really interesting part of that that I don't know if they fully explored, but it was definitely there, this identity of a company, especially the company of, of theirs. You know, I mean, so they're making weapons. Um, and I'm thinking like Lockheed Martin, Boeing. Um, is it Boeing? Yeah, but definitely Lockheed Martin where where they have military contracts, right? And and they do good work and they believe in the work they're doing. Um, but it's like, can one make a product that is harmful and sleep at night? And that's what Tony's struggling with, you, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and, and then to have Obadiah's response, you know, we're ironmongers. This is what we do. I, I mean, in the comic... Obadiah is Ironmonger. That's his name. I like the way they work that in there. Um, Mm -hmm. But like where he's clearly comfortable with it because he's like, this is how we make our money. This is what we do, you know. Um, And so so I liked that underlying theme, you know, of of morality of like what I produce matters.
0: Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, Tony even – I'm going to jump ahead a little bit because I think Tony's line is a great uh, response to that where – it's after Tony's been working in the garage for a little bit. He comes back. Uh, Obadiah's had like the meeting with the, the, the board holder or the shareholders. And they're kind of questioning like where Tony's at, you know, mentally. And Tony's like, I'm being responsible. That's a new direction for me, for the company. I mean, me on the company's behalf. Right. So right there, like he's having that struggle between the identity of the company and the identity of, him, of himself and, and, and dealing with that legacy of the company and what it means for him as a person.
1: Right. Well, and I like the I like that they built the new reactor because to me, um, going along with that, that new reactor is he's back to his old ways, right? Like like he's he's completely slid back into it's new tech. I've upgraded new tech. This is better. This all oh, the oldest trash um, just throw that out, right? And it and mm-hmm. it's kind of it's in his mind he thinks he's turned over a new leaf. Right. But he's actually just doing what he's used to inventing new tech. But but he's just kind of cloaked in this. I have this new way, at least to me mm-hmm. at this point and
0: kind of playing in that whole line of like responsibility. Um, Like we said, Tony's on this quest for purpose and they have that scene with Rody where Rody's talking to some new recruits. And he and even though Tony's not in the scene, he has. Roddy has that line about, like, you know, the difference between a manned or unmanned pilot. Like, you can't make up for uh, intuition or human decision-making and stuff like that. And, and I feel like that's a substitute for this this branch that Tony's on about the responsibility of the power that he's creating. Right. And and so I, I didn't view it this way until you pointed it out. And I really like that about how him making the second arc reactor is a feigned... I'm better now, even though he's just doing the same thing that he was doing beforehand. Oh
1: yeah, yeah.
0: So I, I really, I really like that. Um, and because c- he even when he's talking to Rhodey, he even says, "I don't want this in the wrong hands. Maybe in mine, it can do some good."
1: Right. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, and just just a quick side note. One of the things at this point, because I, I have it in my notes, you know, and and not to stray too far off topic. Robert Downey Jr. looks so young in this movie. Yeah, yeah, he does. He really does. You know, and and I don't think I realized how much he's aged. And and I'm not. And I don't mean that in a bad way, but when you see it at the end, Endgame, right, the last mm-hmm. movie, and go back and rewatch this, like it. Wow, it it shows it's been ten years.
0: Well, you know, I kind of remember when we talked about Daredevil, and and specifically, we were talking about how they. Um, we're splitting the scenes where Ben and Karam are waiting for his editor to arrive. And yeah. it was like that idea of manufacturing context. Right. This is like authentic context. Like they didn't have to manufacture it. So it's like, it's cool to see how young he looks to the end. And yeah. in game. Oh yeah. It's it's a life lived. Like it's 10 years of somebody's life.
1: Yeah. And then my other note, Jeff Bridges is so good when he has that line. Now I know. Start <laughs> built this in a cave. With the backs of scraps. Like, that was so... That's my best Jeff Bridges. But, like, that was... That I, was a good Jeff Bridges. Thank you. And, like, I just wrote down, like, Jeff Bridges is so good. You know? Because, like, to me, he's the dude. But here, like, he's totally Obadiah. Mm-hmm.
0: And, and it's so funny that you point that out because, obviously, we know we're working towards this point where he has his heel turn but there's almost a jovial sense to him that in the beginning that I think you could kind of right. pull from like characters he's played like the dude. Oh, yeah. Because I mean, even when Tony like arrives at the press conference and he has a, a, a bag of burgers from Burger King, you know, Obadiah has that throwaway line. He's like, oh, is one of those for me? And it's just like, there's like that feel, like a like a fun uncle feeling uh-huh. to him. Oh, yeah, and, yeah. And that being said, I'm glad you kind of took this little tangent to talk about Jeff Bridges. This is, this is just a direct note I had. Not many people can make a Segway imposing, but Obadiah <laughs> nails it. <laughs> Any other person but Jeff Bridges would have been know, laughed at for rolling in on a segue. <laughs>
1: that's a perfect. That's a great point. That is a great point. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't he have a big cigar in his mouth too? Like, like he. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's fantastic. Yep. Uh, well, we're on Jeff. That
0: is the embodiment of, of Obadiah yeah. in one image. Oh, yeah.
1: Well, we're on Jeff Bridges. Chot this down in your notes. Watch Arlington Road if you haven't seen it.
0: I have not seen it. You gotta watch. I'll it. Check it out. You
1: gotta watch it. Okay, Jeff Bridges lead. Tim Tim Robbins is the the second guy, uh, second lead, and Joan Cusack about domestic terrorism. Oh, uh, fantastic. And what's it called again? Arlington Road. All right. Uh, back on topic. Yeah, Jeff Bridges. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I just well, and this is the scene that Far From Home reach back to, mm-hmm. right, and pull um, the guy. Yeah, because the guy he yelled at about that's. That's not until Act Three though. Oh wait. You're right. Okay.
0: I thought you were just really excited to show off your Jeff Bridges impression.
1: (laughs) Well, I I, two things. A, yes, I was excited about mentioning Jeff Bridges, and that distracted me. So yeah.
0: (laughs) 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 Yeah. You're right. I got
1: caught up I totally lost myself because I got caught up in Jeff Bridges.
0: (laughs) He has that effect on people. Yeah, he does. Side note on a side note, I know we're already getting carried away because we got we're about an hour into this. But uh, Jeff Bridges has an entire album dedicated to like helping you sleep, and it's got like weird talking pieces and music pieces. And if you've never listened to it, you should check it out because it's wild.
1: Oh, I'm in. I'm in. Because
0: it should be on Spotify. It's just I think I, I, the title is evocative for probably search reasons, but it's called "Sleeping with Jeff Bridges." Okay, so so
1: every. Yeah, because every night before I go to bed, I listen to a little bit of ASMR. and So, yeah, I'm in.
0: Check it out. Okay, so uh, hopping back into uh, Iron Man, I do want to say another thing that I found interesting in this second act is that it's really interesting that on this quest for purpose, we see that Tony reaches out to three different people obviously Obadiah in the scene we were talking about him revealing his arc reactor and them having their exchange, you know, we're warmongers. Then you have him reaching out to Rhodes, where he was like, Hey, I want you to come see what I'm working on. But Rhodes is like, nah, you, you know, I, I think you quoted it. You need to get your head right.
1: Yeah, I mentioned that earlier. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: And then finally, he reaches out to Pepper as well, which she does help him, but she's super reluctant about when she's replacing the internal uh, arc reactor for him. It shows Tony's resolve at this point in his life where even though the people that he's closest with are both are all kind of like, you know, you're not right here. He's still kind of moving forward with trying to find his new identity.
1: Yeah, so I I wrote this down in quotes. This it said the "get your mind right" line, and then I put interesting friendship because Tony is in a place where he's trying to improve himself, and Roadie mm-hmm. is like, like no, you need to get back to work. and And I've put interesting friendship because there's an element of friendship where, yeah, one friend helps pulls the other one through when they're in a funk or something like that, you know, like that's what friends Mm -hmm. are for. But ideally friends are pushing you both towards virtue and becoming better. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it's interesting that like Stark is trying to go this virtuous path, so to speak. And Rhodey is, is pushing him you know he's almost like one of those in the hero's journey he becomes in, in in a minor moment here one of those obstacles one of those uh the people that he has to henchmen so to speak that he has to overcome in order to reach his end goal uh, and who are the other two you mentioned uh Obadiah Obadiah okay and then pepper and pepper and pepper a little
0: less so i I, I think it's they establish some friction with her being unwilling to help with the changing of the arc reactor. Um, and I think that's just setting the stage for later on. Um, right. Actually, at the end of this act, at the beginning of the next act where they she catches him taking off his um, yeah. well, his armor.
1: Well, and you need that. And, and it's interesting because you need that moment where, you know, and it comes together in the end. But you need that moment. She needs the old arc reactor to have as the gift, right? Proof that Tony Stark right. has a heart, you know? Mm-hmm. And and the reason why I bring that up is because if you think about it, to to save the day, so I already mentioned, right, like the, and, and I know I'm getting ahead of myself here, but I mentioned how, you know, he he has this facade of a new path, but he's really doing what he always did with the new arc reactor. Mm-hmm. And so it, it makes sense that, you have this scene where she keeps it and attaches it to Tony Stark has a heart. And then in order to save the day and to truly become new, he has to have that original one, right, that he made that that was part of his change of heart, right? Cuz mm-hmm. cuz the one that he had that's made under this false pretenses maybe that facade is the one Iron mm-hmm. Monger used, right? And Mm -hmm. so that new one kind of still represents the old ways. And so, of course, it's taken by the villain and supposed to be used. And he has to go back and get his heart, the original, to to overcome that.
0: Oh, that's so good. Uh, You make me... That's what I love about the MCU is that you can watch it so many times and still find new ways to love it. Oh,
1: yeah. Yeah.
0: Oh, that's so good. So another thing that I was kind of coming to... I don't even know if I've finally figured out where I've landed, but within my notes, I'm kind of toying with this idea of like internal versus external conflict, kind of talking about how like the the story structure gets resolved early on in the beginning of the film. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing that I really liked uh, was that first flight scene, which was just absolutely amazing when Tony's like testing out the suit. Oh, yeah. But what's cool to me is that it really highlights how a large portion of this movie is kind of absent of... External like conflict in the tradition of like a, a superhero film like where you're going out and fighting bad guys. Right. It's more of a, a, a man overcoming that internal one. And so to finally see him have that flight scene where it's just pure joy felt so earned and rewarding from a viewing experience.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, you know what I find interesting is and and I and I just, it, this just popped in my head. So I, it's mm-hmm. it's not fully formulated. Um we're gonna jump back to Christopher Nolan for a moment. Um, we, we brought it's a staple on. in this place. Yeah, but 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 I want to look at Batman Begins for a second, because because Batman Begins has a very I'm going to be careful here, but a similar structure in the origin of, mm-hmm. of Batman being born and his training, right? In the terms of like the conflict is that internal becoming something, and I'm and I'm just wondering if and and I'd want to see them quite almost quite literally side by side. I'd love to think think about it that way and see as a story structure, what did Nolan do here versus Favreau and why do both work, you know, um, but they also feel very different.
0: I'm going to put us on accountability here. As much as we talked about it, we have to have a bonus episode where we go through a Nolan Batman movie. We do. Like, we just have to. We do. And I think it helps that the, the Nolan Batman movies were so influential for all superhero movies. Right. So, I don't think it's too far of a deviation, but we should, we should find a way to do that at some point.
1: Okay. So, on the count of three, which movie? One, two, three...
0: Batman, Batman Begins. Begins.
1: There you go. Okay.
0: Yeah, I don't get me wrong. I love The Dark Knight, and I like yeah. it better. But as far as what we're dealing with, I think Batman Begins is the best place to start
1: with. Really. Awesome. I see. I knew there's a reason we partnered up for a podcast. So yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh man. But um, you know, kind of staying within the scene of like Tony flying for the first time, um. It, You know, we see I'm peeking ahead again, obviously, in Iron Man three, we see that Tony deals with this idea of, am I more than the suits? Um, And and it's something that I thought really didn't come to fruition, at least in my own recognition of it until, you know, Iron Man three. But we see it here, like his ingenuity is on full display Um, because when he has that flight scene, he, his ego gets the better of him and he's flying up to see how high he can go and his suit freezes and he loses obviously his mobility. He loses Jarvis and he relies on his ingenuity of releasing the flares to kind of jump his suit back into action and save his own self. Right. And it's really cool how much that theme keeps popping up back up for Tony.
1: Right. Well, he's, he's very resourceful. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. even for, uh, you know, being in the suit and, and I think, I think it was a YouTube video that I, sh- that I watched and I'll send it to you at some point when you're ready for it. Um, sorry. <laughs>
0: it's a little pointed.
1: <laughs> I kid because I love. Um, <laughs> no, um, but, but, it, but it traced like all the things that how it, it traced how st- stuff happens to Stark. And then with each, and it's not just like this weird, like thought experiment, like he actually points to events in the movie and then shows the next time you see another suit that like, oh, we're gonna, I'm going to add this to my suit, right? I'm going to add this Mm -hmm. to my suit. And he's constantly, and so like you see that even in his, like in there, the ingenuity of like, I got to do this, I got to do that. And you mentioned Iron Man 3 kind of focuses on that, right? Him being a tinkerer, I think was the, was the word they used. But you you can trace it in his suits, right? Like even in this movie, the icing problem, and then later in the end, it comes up, right? And mm-hmm. and and that's and that's kind of a very much a character trait on Stark's part, of like I'm always looking to improve. I'm always looking to improve. But it's nice because to me, this movie and the story is about realizing that the, that the self improvement. Uh, rather than a, than a, that internal self-improvement rather than the external improvement.
0: And kind of playing in that space with the whole the suit being built around experiences. Um, another scene that I really liked is there was this shot where Tony was watching the news. Uh, I believe it was right after the flight sequence. And he's learning about this fundraising event that's happening without him. And when he is watching that, he holds the mask up to him and we see the the news through the eyes of the Iron Man suit. Right. And so, I, I, you know, I'm not making a huge leap here, but obviously that first press conference, he was very vulnerable. Then we see him reach out to three different people in his life and kind of have mixed results. And so clearly he's kind of, you know, in a very vulnerable place. He's had doubts casted around him. But him viewing that little news piece through the mask is him taking matters into his own hands uh-huh. after everyone else has faltered around him. Right. Uh, and the fact that that's happening in his garage where we've already established that is it's a safe space. And in this moment, Jarvis is building,
1: I believe it's the Mark IV at this uh, point. Let's see. The Mark IV is the, yeah, the one, the first one that we see in red and gold. because Because right. one and... is in the cave, two... No, it's the Mark III because two is the silver one, mm-hmm. and Mark III and so then is the first Mark III. Yeah.
0: Okay. Well, so and that's what I was getting at. So we're seeing this all happening at once. Jarvis is building the suit, and right before he leaves, he tells Jarvis to throw a little hot rod red on it. So you have the suit that he's built in his own ingenuity. You have that influence of his father's legacy with the hot rod that it represents, and he's going out into the world as this new person. And I just really like this new this scene.
1: Yeah. Oh, I I loved I love the building scene. I love the way. Uh, he learned to fly, like, and not the flying scene, but but it was like, yeah, I could fly, um, mm-hmm. it, you know, <laughs> like that. Him him shooting the the arc reactor or the I forgot, not the arc reactor, the pulse, um, reactor. The pulse reactor. Yeah, like like I loved all of that that sequence. Um, it, well, because you can see the thought and the care and the and you know, it wasn't like he just put it together. They really took the time to show. It's like. He's working on the mechanics of the calf of the suit. You know, he's tightening the elbow and putting the arm in there to and really, you know, it, it's a real craft to Stark.
0: Yeah. And it, it, there's a, a, I've used this in, in Daredevil, but there's a tactile feel to it doing it that way. Right. Like, a, I I miss how heavy those suits used to feel.
1: Oh, Yeah. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. I mean, if you think about it, like, the first suit up where he steps and it, it's all in pieces and they're putting it on and you see him actually drilling it together, you know, to tighten it and yeah. stuff. Like, like, I don't know, you, you get that, like you said, that heaviness and that feel of what it is compared to, like, let's go all the way to you know, infinity war and Endgame, And it's really cool and sleek that nanotech. Right. But man, you don't really get the sense of the bulk of the suit, the way you do in mm-hmm. that first one. I don't think in any of them, maybe, maybe in number two as well. I'd have to go back and see some of those suit up scenes. I, um, I be-
0: yeah. Cause I remember those, the briefcase scene, like it still had that heavy feel to it. Yeah. in two.
1: yeah. Now I do want to mention here, cause I, I have it in the note. So, and so, so I want to bring it up. Um, that scene where he leaves or he's watching and you said that news report where he's, he's looking through his, um, the mask and he goes and he's dressed up and pepper's dressed up. It's the dress that he bought her, but she actually bought it for her birthday. Um, Mm -hmm. that's another scene where I'm not sure that interaction holds up or just plays very different now. Yeah. You know, and I mean, and that was, that was the other thing about that one time I did it with the student marathon is them watching it and them just kind of, not having any issue with it and accepting it as normal. Cause I'm like, man, the power structure there, that's your boss. Um, the line, you want to dance? She's like, Oh no. And he's like, great. Come on. And takes her, you know, and he's like, look great, smell great. Um, and then he's like, but I could fire you if that would make it better. And it's like, yeah. it's like, Whoa, all of this stuff. And I get again, character wise, what they're showing. I get like his out of touchness of be honest reality to a degree, you know. And it just you know, and and they do. They actually, you know, she explains to her, you know, Potts explains why it's a problem. You know, I'm in this spectral stress, you're my boss and what you know, in and, and there, but it still it just doesn't um I don't know. It doesn't it doesn't play right to me as much mm-hmm. as, as and, and 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 honestly i'm calling myself out cuz cuz it's one of those things that I remember when i first saw it i didn't think anything of the scene so like i'm mm-hmm. totally calling myself out on this one as to yeah. as to to when i watch it now
0: i'm totally in that same camp with you and i'll be completely honest i didn't even pick up on it cuz you and i both did rewatches i did a rewatch with my stream community you did a rewatch with your your class And I watched Iron Man before we had the conversation. I didn't even pick up on it then, which I'm really ashamed about. And and, and now that you've kind of like opened up my eyes to it, and I'm fully willing to kind of like get called out on this if this is the wrong thing. I think what happens is that because this is a written thing, it's easy to kind of get caught into like, well, this is how it's supposed to be because we know how these characters are going to end up. But if you step back into what the reality of, like, this is a real world, like you said, that power structure is incredibly inappropriate. And why I think it still feels wrong is in the same way that it felt wrong in the beginning of the scene in with the airplane and all these the, the stewardesses are dancing, is it's not used to show a negative side of Tony. It's used to glorify, look how suave he
1: is. Yes, yes. And,
0: and so it, it's it's the character like you can make the character make those mistakes, but the movie has to know which side is right if that makes sense. It does. And I don't it think does. the movie movie knew the right side of that either.
1: No. And so
0: that's what doesn't sit right with us now.
1: Right. And I, I think I think you hit the nail on the head.
0: So, and I mean that's just time and growth. I mean I, I don't want to f- just say like forgive it and like oh it was a different time. Um, but I, being able to like look past that is, I think,
1: growth on hopefully collective society. Right. Um, now, to to jump back in the movie, I do have a note. This movie has a including credits an end scene. Uh, I noticed. It had oh, I it, missed it. I had it. Oh, you missed the end scene. <laughs> uh, two hours and six minute runtime, where it was around the one hour fifteen minute mark that we actually see. The reveal of the Mark Three, mm-hmm. um, and and I bring that up because I found it interesting of how far into it that you finally get the Mark Three, whereas like uh, go back to Nolan's Batman Begins, you get the reveal of Bale as Batman in the suit and him saying the line "I'm Batman." <clears throat> Sorry, a second. Hold on.
0: I thought you were gearing up for your Batman impression. No,
1: no, I I was, trust me, I'm not going to try that one. Um, But but Batman impression. Nope, there it is. And it was terrible. Uh, We'll edit maybe that out. You're editing this week. But no, so, so like the, at almost the exact halfway point of the movie is when. Bale gives that line, I'm Batman, and we finally get to see the suit and reveal. And so when I talk about that pace, it's it's similar in origin story, right? Um, mm-hmm. And you get that pacing, but you get it halfway through the movie, and it didn't feel rushed or anything, whereas this, you don't get the Iron Man suit till about an hour and 15 minutes in, of a two-hour, mm-hmm. six-movie, and that includes credits. Mm-hmm. So in that context, you don't get a lot of him in the Mark three suit. Mm-hmm. Which I don't think I noticed before until this rewatch.
0: Yeah. I want to be careful here because I don't want to keep poking ahead, but I remember one of the things that was criticized about Iron Man three a lot is how, oh, this is an Iron Man film without Iron Man because Tony spends so much time out of the suit. It doesn't feel that much different in this one where he doesn't spend as much time in the suit either.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's an excellent point.
0: So that'd be that's I I wanna say that now to keep that in in, in the back of our minds whenever we do get to Iron Man Three. Yeah.
1: So okay, so at this point what are your thoughts on that that whole sequence when he goes back and fights in the suit in in Gomera i
0: so something that i think will be fun to track um, is the moment i believe that these heroes become kind of their title um even if they don't say it like you know like tony does um so for example we talked about with daredevil how matt reveals the story about the abusive father that was like the catalyst for him going out to start fighting crime with iron man i like the way that they handle it here um because the catalyst for him becoming the hero is fixing the wrong that he helped create which right. is this whole scene in gomera and it's such a large scale metaphor to handle the small-scale conflict that he's having with Obadiah. And I think that's at the heart of what makes a good superhero film is grounding the large-scale moments with the smaller-scale stakes. So this whole Gomera scene is the embodiment of that, and I was pretty pumped about it.
1: I think that's a good way to put it. Because, I mean, he goes back, and he's not fighting like a huge villain, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And and you're starting to get your first clue, because we mentioned, well, let's put it this way. From a comic book knowledge standpoint, you should know Obadiah Stane is the villain. From a Mm -hmm. movie vocabulary standpoint, you should know he's the villain because you don't hire Jeff Bridges to be a supporting actor. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, But up until this point, if you don't think of it in the movie vocabulary or you don't know Obadiah Stane's the Ironmonger, or you didn't watch the trailer... um, (laughs) <laughs> like Ten Rings, especially with the very limited, well, not limited, but with some comic book knowledge, the Ten Rings, the Mandarin is the leader of the Ten Rings, and that's a classic Iron Man villain. So mm-hmm. it it makes sense that like that's a villain, and and like he goes back there, and that's what he's taking on, um, is as, as well, you know. And so mm-hmm. it's well, while it's minor, it also has this weird, this weird feel, like it's not. Mm-hmm. If if that makes sense, because at this point, let's put it this way, because at this point, I don't know if it's clear of who the big bad is for this movie.
0: You know, I, I will say this to go out on this limb, especially because of the way like you detailed it as if you have comic book knowledge or you have movie book knowledge, movie book, if you have movie vocabulary knowledge that you should know that Obadiah is the villain. I didn't. Even at this point, I remember my first watch. Like I remember being fully like uh, shocked whenever you know Jeff Bridges is revealed as the villain. So I I mean, I can I could be your test subject here in saying that I I didn't
1: know. (laughs) Well, good, good. But but I mean, mean, that's just who
0: I am as a person.
1: Well, I mean, it's that, but it's also like I mean, as storytellers. It, it's their job to to make you forget that vocabu- yep. movie vocabulary right like mm-hmm. it, it's it's their job to get you sucked in to where y- you forget about those things because you're engrossed in the story and and I think they did that Lastly about this I well not lastly second to lastly then lastly penultimate then then ultimate maybe uh-huh. um I liked how they showed off the suit mm-hmm. right like he gets shot by the tank. Um, he punches through the wall. he's doing the the pulse reactor. he's has little things that comes out of his shoulders and targets like it, they really show off the suit, right mm-hmm. um, So I like that sequence. But then like I, a quick side note, I've been really into Dungeons and dragons a lot lately <laughs> and and so mine so I, I need to say that for the context for some context for my note. That tank rolled the nat 20. <laughs> like for <laughs> for for that tank to hit iron man while he's flying uh-huh like that's a nat 20 but like he has such a small cross section to aim he's a moving target it's a tank right like for you to knock him out of the sky
0: it's a damn good shot
1: yeah <laughs>
0: <laughs> kind of staying within this space Actually, no, because you said you had another. Uh, that was your penultimate note. Did you have something? No, the Nat Twenty, this... the Nat
1: Twenty. I was okay. <laughs> 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 I love it. Yeah, um... th- yeah, the Nat Twenty was my ultimate. Sorry. It, now, now it seems kind of a letdown. I, I built it up too much.
0: <laughs> no, it was a good note. I, I just wanted to make sure I wasn't stepping on them. But but what I was going to say is that you know we've praised Marvel for handling collateral damage in movies like Civil War. But honestly, they've been dealing with real world consequences from the beginning. You know, the the way that he took the time when you had those pinpointing uh, missiles, it was, you know, you see Iron Man kicking ass and, you know, doing this and that. And then he really slows down and pauses. Not that any other superhero would show, you know, which is killing civilians like that. But I like that they had that pause and showed the capability of Iron Man to be able to pinpoint accurate, um, you know, who he was taking out.
1: Yeah. And you're right. And, 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 and they've, well, I like that go jumping ahead movie wise to Civil War, that self-criticism, you know, but you're mm-hmm. right. Like, like even here that wanting to do right, like is what kicks mm-hmm. him off to have this change of ways, you know? And so, mm-hmm. so from the beginning, you could argue that they've been kind of, they've, uh, kind of, they they've been mindful of it,
0: and and because you have that scene with the pinpoint missiles, and then you have the scene where he is evading the jets, and he crashes through one of the wings. They hit him, and they, they make hit a, him. That's true. They did. Uh you know, they make a big scene about him rescuing that pilot, and then so it's it's something that they've definitely been conscientious of from the beginning.
1: Oh yeah, can I can I do a quick side note? Everybody has wanted to see stealth armor, right? Like I say everybody, maybe hyperbole, but wanted to see stealth armor. It, my understanding of stealth armor or, or stealth technology. Um, I don't feel like I'm revealing state secrets because I know very little um, of stealth technology. But part that's of that's what somebody who knew a lot would say. Yeah. <laughs> Shh. <laughs> um, so <laughs> but but like my understanding of it is part of it is 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 in the design minimizing the cross section, right? Like, like, and they even mentioned that scene has a small cross section for the radar. So the way Mm -hmm. radar works is, you know, you send out a signal, it bounces back. um, And then, and and then you use it like that, you know, like bats. Uh, Anyway, sorry, I had to throw that (laughs) reference out there as well. Um, But (laughs) because it's a human flying in the air, that's a pretty small cross section. Like, isn't, Mm -hmm. wouldn't he pretty much be stealth by nature? Like you Mm -hmm. wouldn't really have to do something fancy, I would assume.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, how The and, and like you said, I mean, it's illustrated with how lucky of a shot that tank had.
1: <laughs> yeah. Nat 20, baby. Nat 20. <laughs> <laughs> I you still want to play Dungeons it, and Dragons. Okay, keep going.
0: <laughs> I, I do too. You know, I feel like we're kind of gearing up to transition to Act 3. But before we get there, I, I don't think we could leave Act 2 without saying we get our very first Stan Lee cameo in this act. We do. And it's as Hugh Hefner.
1: That... <laughs> well, and it's, it's funny because it's fitting when you throw in like his um, cameo from Deadpool, mm-hmm. you know, as basically the DJ at the strip club, you know, but yeah, it's, it was a fantastic, I, I hate that we're going to be done uh, with Stanley cameos. Yeah,
0: it's, just, it's, it's, it's amazing how they've been able to build up all these cameos in a way that's fun. And doesn't break the reality somehow, right? Like you, you somehow. I, I can only speak for me. I forget it's coming every time and get delighted every time I see it.
1: Uh, I'm with you. I'm with you. Like I know mm-hmm. it's coming, but yeah, like there every time. It's it's uh, every time.
0: It'll <laughs> be be sad moving forward. <sighs> but like I said, I think we are moving into Act Three now. Um, so as we said, this is where Tony gets back from that mission in Gomera where he is discovered by Pepper taking off the armor and this is going to take us all the way through the end of the movie. So yeah, I, I think the first thing that I want to bring up, cause this kind of pairs with. Uh, the last scene of, you know, outrunning the jets, you know, we see incredibly early on that the MCU is just not interested in the old trope of superheroes keeping their identity secret. Right. Um, it's obviously evident because of the way the movie ends with the I Am Iron Man. But you can see it here early on in the scene with the jet sequence and then with Pepper catching Tony taking off the suit. It's almost like they're conceding the, hey, we're going to let you have the power fantasy of these heroes but you're going to deal with the real world consequences of how disruptive having a force like that would be in the world, um, and like I said, with the jets, you know, we have that scene in the war room where they're like calling, you know, different branches of the military, just trying to figure out who exactly was in an active war zone. Right. And then again, when uh, you know, as soon as Pepper finds Tony, she she immediately begins questioning about the bullet holes in his armor and and clearly very concerned about him.
1: Okay, my notes on that scene. Um mm-hmm. and and it kind of steps back outside of the movie a little bit a little bit this is years later and it still looked great like like the, the... visuals of uh, of what the suit looked like the the mechanics of the machinery to take it off like it still mm-hmm. to me looked real it still looked great mm-hmm. um and and sometimes you see the further away you get and new technology you know improves or new, te- new technology comes out and technology improves, uh, and you're like, oh, that didn't hold up as well. To me, this still really looks good.
0: Especially because we we see a lot of, like, uh, characters in suits with face being revealed. That feels so much more natural yeah. than some of the, like, take Bruce Banner being revealed in the um, Hulkbuster suits in, right. in Infinity War. And it just, like, it, it, it is a testament to how great it looks that they still hold up in these right. rewatches. Well,
1: and you mentioned not only the, you mentioned, okay, the, well, we're going to have these real world, real, easy for me to say, we're going to have these real, oh my gosh. <laughs> you mentioned we're going to have these real world consequences about the identity, but it's not often you see them, like you, you see the superheroes as kind of the classic, like we're going to get suited up. You don't see them taking off the suit often. Um, and so mm-hmm. I also liked that element of like, of like, it's complicated and difficult Getting you know, it like looked really cool and fancy t- putting the suit on, and now it's not as smooth trying to get it off. and And I really mm-hmm. liked; that. I thought that was a nice touch.
0: Yeah, um, it's uh, you brought up this notion of the vocabulary of superhero media evolving. I say media because we've been covering TV shows and movies, but like those two media and TV shows is evolving, and and we're seeing that here take place.
1: Oh yeah, well, because I mean, you can figure what this is two thousand eight. When you think about superhero movies that came out before this, you had, ooh, at least two of the three Spider-Mans, right? Yeah. You had Batman Begins in 2005. No, I think it was all three Spider-Mans. It was all three Spider-Mans. Okay. So all three Man had been out. All three X-Men have been out. Mm-hmm. Um, the Brandon Routh, Ruth, Brian Singer directed Superman. The Hulk. Yeah. Hulk. The Eric Banner Hulk. God, what was the one...
0: Fantastic Four. Fantastic, yeah, Fantastic Four. Uh,
1: so, like, yeah, you've seen, not the second one, but at least the first one. So, like, there, there's a number of superhero movies that has had been out. And, I mean, when you look at those ones we mentioned, it wasn't like they weren't successful. I mean, yes, Nolan changed the game. Um, mm-hmm. You could argue the X-Men movies, especially the first and second one, you know, kind of changed the game. Um, mm-hmm. The first Spider-Man and the second Spider-Man, which was probably better than the first one. Um, Mm -hmm. we're all game changers in their own way, but, but you're right. There's elements of, of Iron Man and what they did, uh, in the MCU with the identities and all this stuff that, that really, um, took that, that genre and, and, made more changes to it.
0: So, you know, I mentioned how this is the scene where Pepper comes in and is, is catching Tony, uh, taking off the suit um, there's a little moment here that I think is one of my, my favorite exchanges between them is as she is protesting going to the office to gather the information that he needs, um, you know, she, she, she outright declines him. And Tony responds with, you know, like, you, know, you stood by me when my company was making money off all these weapons. You know, I, I wrote down this specific quote. I know in my heart that it's right which is in reference to him wanting to do this. And when he references his heart, that's the moment that Pepper buys in. I like that they did that because clearly she made that proof that Tony Stark has a heart gift as a subtle jab, but there's truth in jest. And then her hearing that Tony is sincerely speaking from his heart shows how much it means to him and in turn how much it means to her that he cares about this.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, and it ties back to, I mean, I... I agree with you. I mean, it ties back to what I was. Um, I think that arc reactor, like, like I know, like it's comic book accurate to put it in his chest, but I really like how they played into that. Like, like he starts in the cave and he begins that change of heart, and he and he gets a new one, so to speak. But he but he still has that. I'm not satisfied, so he tries to upgrade um mm-hmm. you know and it's that whole like at, at that point it starts to become like you didn't realize what you had when it was right in front of you kind, kind of thing mm-hmm. you know and so I upgraded it and then I have to go back and and realize it's not all this all this other fancier stuff it, it, I I had it all along
0: you know you referenced the the early scenes again with Tony being in the cave I kind of wanted to, to this isn't exactly the same but it's it's adjacent Um, you know, they always talk about how the best villains are the villains that think they're right. Like they know, like Thanos thought he was doing good by snapping half the universe away because that's his way of solving a problem. You mean mean he wasn't? (laughs) I'm I'm learning so much today. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, damn. Um. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) you're totally fine. Um. It's fun to see in a very similar vein that Obadiah misdiagnoses Tony's hero journey by saying he left a part of himself in that cave and never really came back. And yes, he he did shed some of the the vices, but it's funny to see how Obadiah is just writing him off as like having never really returned, even though he has returned, right. having changed.
1: Yeah. No, that's a good point where Ob- Obadiah completely misses it. But I'm... Can I mention two right here where I feel like there's two plot holes?
0: Okay. Or I mean, you've already disrupted all the
1: other plot holes. Okay. Well, I, I mean, it just it just doesn't. Well, I mean, true plot holes. Like the other, like were those like you need to get that it's a movie. Mm-hmm. I never fully understood because he has that line like I was affa- I was afraid that I was going to kill the golden goose, but you left one last egg, and I understand when he when Stark comes back and says, we're going to shut down the weapons. And he does an injunction, right? Because he wants to get, he wants to get making weapons again, making money. I never understood though, why, I guess it's the jealousy, but I never, outside of that, I never understood, fully understood why he wanted to start dead. Mm-hmm. So that was one. The, the other one was, I, I I'm with you, and I like the scene, and everything you said about, between Pepper pots and his heart, you know, and, and mm-hmm. but I didn't understand necessarily outside of building tension, I guess the need to send Pepper pots. like story-wise as a creator and writing the script outside of building tension. I never understood necessarily why that scene where you got to send Pepper to copy the files. Like, mm-hmm. like, cause in my head, I'm like, you're stark who we later know you hacked the Pentagon in high school you, you know what I mean do you did you really need to send pepper with a thumb right. drive to, to copy stuff um mm-hmm. and and so those two that that the reasoning in there th- those two never quite like like I mean I forgive it and I like the movie and it's mm, debatably top five top six MCU for me right? Because mm-hmm. if it wasn't for this, we don't have a podcast. But in terms of like how a story functions and, and the mechanics and all that kind of stuff of a story, those two things never really quite gelled for me.
0: You know, I'm totally with you that, yes, it's plot reasons. They want to create that tension. But that I mean, that's only so satisfying. Like when you start to poke around at it, it doesn't feel right. The only thing thing that comes to mind as maybe a possible explanation is yes you're right you know tony hacked the pentagon if it could be one of those situations and where his his own security is so good he can't hack into it but that doesn't feel right either because it's like he's trying to get into his own stuff from the outside which you would imagine would be impenetrable right right so that's the only like I'm trying to meet them somewhere halfway but no, no, I don't I think that's that. right either.
1: Yeah, no, yeah. I understand that. And and I and I get that and it's not unforgivable, it's not terrible <laughs> or whatever, but mm-hmm. it's just and and I don't even think I I had that feeling the first watch
0: mm-hmm.
1: like in the theater. But it's just one of those things where I'm just I don't know about this.
0: It's unsatisfying.
1: It yes.
0: You know, I, we, we kind of were talking about the scene where Obadiah says that he thought he killed the golden goose. Um, another line that he has in that scene that I really liked was, you think just because you have an idea, it belongs to you. And you yes, know, I already touched on yes. this. Lo-
1: that's called intellectual property. There's a whole branch of law about it. Okay.
0: <laughs> well, I guess that's why he's a
1: villain. Copyright. Okay. <laughs> But, um,
0: you know, something that I'm learning through this rewatch, uh, like I said before, is that I used to think Tony's identity crisis was cemented in Iron Man 3, uh, stemming from that conversation with Cap and Avengers. You know, we see Tony is so often stripped of the things that he builds, which causes him to constantly have to use his own resources to save himself. And so when Obadiah takes away his arc reactor, it's hammering into this point that Tony is constantly straddling this line between... The thing that he draws power from also invites others to use that same tech for the wrong reasons. Mm -hmm. And it's like Vision said, power invites challenge. So I like that early on we're seeing Tony having to wrestle with this idea of is this power best used in my hands, which is something we see him directly tell Rhodey early on in part two.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, and and if you permit me, I can pull that thread all the way to (laughs) endgame, right? Because he he recognizes. I'll allow it. Thank you. Um, He recognizes, right? Like with the time travel, I solved it, but you know what? I can put a pin in it right here. We can be done, Mm -hmm. you know. Or 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 like even before that, where he's like, I don't want to risk what I have now, um, which kind of has a weird implication. Think of I could do this actually, but I'm not willing to go down that road um, because history shows every time I do, it doesn't always end well. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I mean, I mean, not that they're always happy endings, but because you see that. But 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 there's always that risk.
0: Yeah, that's I mean, that's a fascinating way to pull it all the way through. I like that.
1: Yeah. Now I'm going to jump outside and critique it a little bit more here. Was Uh Obadiah like just hiding behind the couch because they had a wide shot on him walking in that very open (laughs) living room. And he sits and enters the phone (laughs) and all of a sudden, like you get the audio cue from the previous scene. So, you know what it is. Uh But Like he, Obadiah had to be, and as much as I love Jeff, as much as I love Jeff Bridges, Uh like he wasn't, he doesn't appear super athletic to like, it's easy for him to get off the floor like very quickly and silently from behind the couch either.
0: I'll say this. If there's any person that's going to pull off being menacing behind a couch, it is Jeff (laughs) Jeff Bridges.
1: (laughs) (laughs) We just we need we need a side one shot of Jeff Jeff Bridges and Wesley in their master plan while while Ben Urich tracks them down. That's the oh, that's the show it. I want. <laughs> or another
0: one shot would be Obadiah just crouched behind the couch and just like having all these false starts of thinking Tony was there and just like oh, oh god dang it and it's just, just going waiting. back to
1: waiting. <laughs> <laughs> oh man.
0: But you know <laughs> um but you know talking about the whole Tony wrestling with the idea of his power best use in my hands um, you know I'm skipping ahead a little bit to where Tony ultimately defeats Obadiah in the air because of the icing problem like we said um, and it really highlights that, the, you know, the power is best in the hands of those who understand it. Uh, Tony had experience with the icing problem because he used the power firsthand. He tested it and learned from it. Right. Whereas Obadiah just took what didn't belong to him and didn't realize the extent of what he was doing. So,
1: Well, and within the context of the movie, that was his first time wearing it. Like, mm-hmm. like he just taken the arc reactor from Tony, put it in and just went for it.
0: Yeah. So I, I like how they're illustrating that that power-responsibility dichotomy between them two.
1: I don't want to slip into this critique of the movie, so I'm going to critique the trailer. Um, okay. I feel like the Ironmonger suit had a better reveal than the Iron Man suits because of the trailers.
0: I can see that. Because it was that, that like, through the chains, kind of, like, intimidating.
1: Yeah, and the eyes lit up first, and then they come out, and he comes out moving and running, you know, and, mm-hmm. and pretty agile for that size. Um, Whereas you saw the Mark 1, you saw the Mark 2. Not, not only see the Mark 3, like you see the Mark 3 where the, the scene where he gets shot down by the tank and he dodges the next one by the tank and then shoots it with the missile and walks away before it blows up. You get all that in the trailer. Yeah. You know, and so like you get, I feel like the reveal of the Ironmonger suit was a lot cooler.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. I I forgot that uh, they showed so much of that until just now, versus what they show of Obadiah, or War, uh, Ironmonger.
1: Okay, so and one last thing, we'll get back to the movie. Uh, my note, I, I put a big ha 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 next to this note because my R and Stark look like an N, so my note actually says, "Why did he order the hit on t- on Stank?" <laughs> <laughs> Do you work for FedEx? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I used to work for UPS so <laughs> Oh
0: man. So uh, stepping back into the movie, one last thing I want to talk about of this whole Tony and and, and warmonger dichotomy is so much of Tony's journey has been realizing how he's living a life of excess. Uh, and it, once again, they really highlight his growth by showing how Ironmonger is so much more um, incredibly excessive with all the bulk and the weapons that he has. And because and like yeah. even Obadiah says, it's like my suit is not as conservative as yours. And so it shows how Tony has has really thrived because he's streamlined the things that are important to him in his
1: life. Well, I mean, to your, what I love about what you just mentioned with the, the streamlinedness – Streamliness, is that a word uh, of his suit? In the final fight, well, we already mentioned like he he really showed off what his suit can do in Gomera. In the final fight, like if I remember right, he uses the chest piece as a weapon once. In the arc reactor, I mean, in in his in his the the hand cannons, the what? Are they, why am I blanking on them right now?
0: The pulse reactors. Yeah, the
1: pulse reactors. He only uses those in this fight, mm-hmm. um, and. And part of it is that and I, and I really like that they did this, like he's using his old reactor and they established very own. like he doesn't have a lot of power left, right So they're creating tension by constantly reminding us you don't have a lot of power, the power's draining. Um, and so it, and so you're he's at a disadvantage. Um, and I remember specifically mentioning this in our last re- episode review of Daredevil and how that last fight with Kingpin just felt like a fight because mm-hmm. all that tension was spent and there was no real tension felt there. And so that was one thing I really loved about this, how they were found a way to continue to build tension in this last fight uh, mm-hmm. through him losing power.
0: And the way that they were kind of um, reallocating that power within the fight scene is really cool too and, and added yeah. such a a grounded layer to his suit.
1: Yeah. Well, in then I had two that notes here that I'm going to, I'm going to give you both. Okay. Okay. And then let you, and then hear what you have to say. Cause I don't think that when they did it, well, well, I don't think that when they did it, they had far reaching MCU in mind. Mm-hmm. Right. And I'm not sure to what extent they reached, Back and to, to this moment, making the movies.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay,
1: so the first one was uh, Ant Man used this move, you know, where he jumps on the back and Iron Man's. This looks important, and he pulls, <laughs> he yanks right, and thinking uh-huh. like Civil War when he when he's when Ant Man's like pulling stuff on Iron Man's armor, and then Iron Monger's line, ironic, you tried to rid the world of weapons and gave it its greatest one yet, mm-hmm. right? And 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 I got two things out of that line. One was that whole. The notion. Okay, we become what we hate, kind of mm-hmm. kind of thing that you see for some people in real life and in in movies. But two, you know, he did make the weapon that undid the snap, right? So like mm-hmm. he, you know, in trying to rid the world of map weapons, he did. I mean, so it's an interesting spin, right? In trying to rid the world of weapons, you know, and you made his greatest one yet, and and like it was his tech that had those gauntlets that undid the snap, that got rid of Thanos and stuff. And so I don't know if they were intentionally going that far back to that line and inspiring that. But Mm -hmm. in my head now, watching it, putting all those together, I'm definitely linking that together.
0: Yeah, I mean, because what better demonstration of his growth and wrestling with the idea of like, is power better? Am I capable of being in control of the power without letting it corrupt me? And I mean, we see with him being able to wield the Infinity Stones for the good of the universe. I mean, that's such a, a good pool from beginning to end. Right. And like you said, I don't think they, I don't, I definitely they didn't have the larger scale MCU in mind, but it's fun to try and believe that's what inspired the whole formation of it being Tony Tech to build the Iron Gauntlet. Yeah. So, really honestly, in this part three, I don't have anything to say that hasn't been already said about the I am Iron Man scene I mean it's uh, it's iconic I think and everybody knows about this scene because we literally see Tony throw the cards away and fully come out and shatter the norm of superhero identities and really shake up what was going to be the norm moving forward for the MCU
1: well and there's there was a small moment where he's kind of I don't say backslid, but like he's talking to Pepper and he's like, you ever think about that night, you know? And and it's the night that we just discussed, like had some problems with. And she's, oh, you night we danced and this and there. And then the night you left me. And he's like, Mm -hmm. uh, that'll be all the spots, you know? and, And I actually liked that moment. I liked the, um, wrapping up, you know, and, and, Forgive me. The first time we mentioned Coulson in this whole podcast review, but but wrapping up the Coulson storyline, you know, that that was in this movie, you know, it it was just a really nice way to wrap up in a very Tony Stark kind of way, especially at this point, but yet really start pointing to bigger things.
0: I think the reason that it becomes iconic is not only because it is the perfect culmination of everything that Tony's been going on in this journey. Like you said, it hints towards a larger future of the MCU, not only within the narrative, but the meta of the superhero landscape.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and and it's – again, it's very Tony. Like you would expect – well, most superheroes, that genre, whatever it is – Well, not whatever it is on the genre, whatever film or show it is, that genre relies on that secret identity, you Mm -hmm. know, and this is just truly just flying in the face of that.
0: Great way to differentiate itself.
1: Yeah. And at that point, like when you first get it, like it's it's a cool line, but it's also kind of jarring, kind of shocking because it's not something like like, you should expect it because it's Tony Stark but mm-hmm. movie vocabulary it's not something you're expecting. Well, another way to put it is in and I'm stealing this line from another podcast about another movie, but it's that whole thing you know but you what you really don't want to know kind of kind of thing. Like in the back of your mind, you know he's about to say that because it's what you've just watched.
0: Mm-hmm. But,
1: but you just don't want to believe it. It's a fun way to put it. It was a podcast you're talking about Nolan movies. <laughs> <laughs> it always comes back to Nolan. <laughs> Let's let's be honest. We got to get Christopher Nolan to do one MCU movie. I would love to see his take.
0: I'm so egotistical. I thought you were like, we got to get Christopher Nolan to come do one MCU need to know episode. Hey, I'm
1: down. I'm down. If you if you can make that happen.
0: You hear, hear to hear first. We're going to get Christopher Nolan on MCU Need to Know at some point. <laughs> that's how we'll know we made it. Remember when we said we needed to have like some sort of milestone to throw glasses and say have another? That, yep, that's it that's right it, there. That's it. When we get Christopher Nolan on the podcast. <laughs> oh, man. So we're drawing to an end here with part three. But, of course, we cannot end this podcast without having a conversation about the very first in tag in the MCU, which, of course, is Nick Fury showing up to talk to Tony about the Avengers initiative.
1: OK, I'm going to step outside that real quick. Uh-huh. I'm really impressed because because it, was, it wasn't until after Endgame where an alternate take of that came out, where they clearly referred to... Spider-Man and like mutants that they didn't use and couldn't use, you know. Um, but but it just it just goes to show Kevin Feige and his vision of what he wanted. That you know, because because we mentioned we don't think they had the larger picture in mind in terms of like what we ended up with. But right. But clearly, Kevin Feige had something in mind um, to be able to say like, I'm getting Nick Fury. I'm getting Samuel L. Jackson. Even before, like at that point, I think he had a 10 picture movie deal, which is practically unheard of. Most are like two to three movie mm-hmm. deals, you know. And so and that I mean, yeah, some movies in the past had had intacts. Ferris Bueller had an intact, you know, the in credit scene. But this this was on another level. And this is what really set the expectations that movies will have intacts.
0: Yeah. I mean, because I think before this, like, I don't think intag was part of the pop culture vocabulary until after Marvel movies. Yeah. We know they're not the first ones to do it, but the fact that my parents or my sister were asking, oh, do we need to stay till after the credits right. started because of this film?
1: Right. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. So I remember staying all the way to the end of the credits on The Phantom Menace. I know your feelings on that, but I remember saying all the way to the end of The Phantom <laughs> Menace, and you had the Darth Bra the. Darth Vader, you had the Darth Vader deep breathing at the end of that. Mm -hmm. Right. And even just that was a cool moment, but it didn't prompt you to be like, I'm staying the end to the end of attack of the Clones. I'm staying to the end of revenge of the Sith, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. whereas now it's like, you got to check. Do I need to stay? I don't. So, so yeah. So, so that was the other really cool thing about this. Mm -hmm. Um, Besides the scene being short and perfect. um, Yeah. It it really changed the way we think about these things.
0: But yeah, that's gonna do it for our first dive into the MCU proper with Iron Man. That was fun, and I love that. That was a really good time. I, in a peek behind the curtain, I was I was wondering how we were gonna do without doing the scene by scene, but I felt like we were able to cover the things we wanted to cover, uh, uh, you know, within the episode. Yeah, I think so. So this has been this has been fun. I normally we're going to jump into the question of the week, but I, I do want to go ahead and say this for the people that have been listening. Uh, I, I you know, we definitely do love feedback. Um so, uh you know, we were taking kind of a different spin with the way that we are doing a dive deep dive instead of it being scene by scene. We did this. Let me know what you all think because we would definitely like to know how you would prefer longer form content to be analyzed whether it be the scene by scene like daredevil or if you guys enjoyed this as well so
1: yeah please let us know because we had a couple of ideas of how we wanted to break this down um and who knows maybe we we give one of those other ideas a shot uh maybe we don't Mm -hmm. Uh, depends on y'all's feedback
0: yeah so we would greatly appreciate that but of course we do have our question of the week so dude my question of the week for you is If you could choose any other superhero to kick off the Marvel Cinematic Universe, who would you choose?
1: I kept circling back to two characters, and Mm -hmm. I couldn't settle. Ant-Man or Black Panther.
0: Those are really good choices. And
1: I'm leaning towards Ant-Man.
0: Ant-Man, I think, would be good because of—and this sounds negative, but I I, I truly mean it sincerely— but the novelty of the, like, he can grow smaller. Like, I think that's, like, acceptable— Right for a general audience, like because you got to keep in mind how much the audience has been taught to to accept fantastical sides of the MCU. Yeah, and I think Ant Man has that easy entry.
1: Well, uh, well, not only that, like the structure of the movie itself is—it's a heist film.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You're going to steal. I mean, it's it's basically Ocean's Eleven with superhero tech. Mm -hmm. right like you you have your crew you do your plan you pull off the heist um and and well and everybody loves a heist film right um but that's also you know try to think of like what character because that would be the flagship right Mm -hmm. and that's why i kept going back to black panther because that seems like a character that could be that flagship more so than ant-man um because while it's a Ant-Man's a heist film. It's also a comedy. And he does have that kind of comic relief role in the other movies he pulls up pull, or shows up in. Um, mm-hmm. And Black Panther's not that type of character. So that's why I kept circling back to those two. Um, mm-hmm. But then also what made it difficult for me was as an, if that was the first, the movie's probably also going to be very different, especially for Black Panther. Because mm-hmm. er, of his initial introduction being in Civil War. So, right. What about you? It, I don't have to ask. It's Cap.
0: You know, you would think it would be. and
1: I do think it is. (laughs) It's not, though.
0: (laughs) Really? I wanted it to be so much, but I was like, no, I'm not going to take the easy route. Because it it almost felt like cheating to choose one of the phase one heroes, because they're essentially starter points anyway. So I was thinking about it. I just recently rewatched this movie, you know, for the first time in a long time, and it I was struck by how well I thought this was a great entry point for the MCU at large. It would be Doctor Strange. And I think, and I talked about how, you know, you have to train the audience to accept the fantastical. Right. But I think the, no pun intended, magic of Doctor Strange is that it's surrounded by a character who's incredibly cynical about that kind of stuff. And he's the audience surrogate to step into that fantastical side of the MCU.
1: Right. And He, I he think gets that, eased in. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: And I think that would have been a great way to start the MCU other than Iron Man, because he really is kind of following that same Iron Man uh, arc of like, here's a guy who's kind of, you know, high on his own stuff and he gets humbled and becomes a hero.
1: No, that's that's an excellent choice. Um, I'm almost (laughs) embarrassed. I didn't think of it. (laughs) <laughs> uh, and the only and way I say almost is I, I really like my choices
0: <laughs> they're good choices too yeah. I, I really I sincerely think they'd be a great place to start yeah. Like, it, I think that the, the, the whole what makes a great starter point is easing the audience into the fantastical mm-hmm. and you know Ant-Man does that and I, I believe Black Panther does as well because at the heart of it I mean there's a whole larger cultural relevance to Black Panther other than just the hero powers but when you take it as the mechanics it's you know it's a super soldier, okay. you know strength.
1: Right. So so let me ask you this. Do you think Guardians of the Galaxy could work only because like like James, I know, you know I want to be careful here because we haven't reviewed it yet, and I want to save some of these thoughts for that review. Uh-huh. But like the whole point, I think of James Gunn using that music was to help the audience buy into that world and ease into it. It was familiar. Mm-hmm. You know, But using that technique, do you think Guardians of the Galaxy could have done that or is that too far out there?
0: I think it could, but I think it wouldn't. So I think there's two parts you need. You need an ease into the fantastical and the promise of something more. And I think that Guardians of the Galaxy was kind of its own self-contained stuff that I don't know if it hooks the audiences early enough on to a promise of something more.
1: Okay. Okay. And that's good. That's fair.
0: I, if that makes sense.
1: So. No, it does,
0: 100%. But yeah, we'd love to hear from you. If you'd like to chime in with your thoughts on Iron Man or who you think would have been a great hero to start with for the MCU, you can always reach us at MCU Need to Know on Twitter or Instagram. Or if you'd like to write us an email, you can reach us at MCU Need to know at gmail.com.
1: And I know we've already said this, but it really does help us when you leave a rating and a review um, and share with a friend. It builds the audience and brings the mcu to more people and great discussion yeah
0: we'd greatly appreciate it and finally we'd like to give a special thanks to nick sandy for the use of his theme song which is his rendition of the avengers theme you can find more of his music at his soundcloud which is linked in the description and uh, you should check it out a lot of great music there
1: yeah please go check him out so we can keep our theme song
0: stay tuned for the (laughs) intact all right everybody that's gonna do it for this week thank you so much for listening thank you so much for doing this Jude. thank you trey we'll see you all next week you're totally fine it happens yeah um and, I mean, they could still listen to it because, like Kiko said, they were listening to it at twenty-five. I mean, seventy-five percent when they normally listen to it at twenty-five. Yeah. So it was listenable. It's just a minor. Inconvenience. Yeah, no, no, no. And
1: I'll and I'll fix it. But, mm-hmm. um, what well, I don't know. Maybe they should go through, Go go get their hearing check. Maybe it's them.
0: Hey, look! I already pulled this <laughs> this once with Nick Sandy, and he threatened to take the theme song back. Oh no, <laughs> because. I was like, hey, I just talked to Kiko so we could pinpoint whether or not, uh, you know, if this was just happening to you or if it was yeah. happening to everybody. And he was like, oh, sure. Typical Trey. Blame it on me. And I said, hey, look, I'm just trying to troubleshoot. It's not my fault. You're the trouble. <laughs> <laughs> and he, he goes, all right, well, I guess I'll take my theme song back. <laughs> and
1: we got ourselves an end tag. Yep. <laughs> That'd be so funny. And The next week you just hear us humming the end tag. I'm not humming the theme. I'm not the theme. We get a low budget theme. Oh, that's great.
0: I mean, you already were humming it last episode. I know. <laughs> okay. Okay.